everybody. This is Busted Business Bureau. My name is Christian Borky. If you don't follow me on social media, which most of you don't, I'm informing you that I'm going to start dropping episodes every two weeks instead of every week. I'm very much inspired by the Michael Hobbs, Aubrey Gordon, Peter Samshiri extended universe of podcasting where they also drop episodes every two weeks and are also somehow always late. We can't all be Robert Evans, despite our best efforts. That said, if you're not too mad at me and you like the podcast, you can support it on patreon.com slash Bureau, which... Busted Biz Bureau is all of my social media handles as well. This podcast is produced by the Lincoln Lodge, a nonprofit indie comedy theater in Chicago, Illinois. If you'd like to support live comedy, you can donate at thelincolnlodge.com slash donation. Today I have longtime friend of the pod, Sarah, here to talk to me, who has been leaning away from the microphone to swallow this whole time. I'm having some weird swallows. I'm just so excited to be back on the podcast yet again. It's always a joy. Love, BBB. Is that what you were doing just now? Swallowing? Like you were leaning way far away from the microphone. Well, I didn't want all of your lovely, beautiful listeners to have to listen to my loud ass swallows. (laughs) You know what? That's fair. Thank you for thinking of the people. It's just part of my kindness. This episode was inspired by a conversation I had recently with my friend Sean. He was talking about his friend group that had slowly deteriorated over time, uh, concluding in, I guess, an explosive breakup to give you gossip that you don't care about. And in this conversation, he said, quote, we all should have known when the only book by a woman in this guy's house was Carly Fiorina's autobiography. (laughs) (laughs) So mind you, I'm in stitches when this is happening, and the rest of the table is unfamiliar with Carly Fiorina's work. And her, like, repertoire of wacky schemes and shenanigans. So I thought I would make an episode about my favorite factory of girl failures, Hewlett Packard, or HP. Hewlett Packard. HP. Yeehaw. (laughs) Sarah, you vaguely work in tech. Are you, uh, is your firm full of gossip and drama? Um, my, no, it's actually not. God bless. And I... I'm really interested in like the like HP, Dell, Microsoft world because y'all, those companies, they are, they sound like some hot messes. <laughs> and as a Gemini, I love gossip. So I'm excited for these shenanigans. Fantastic. This is a very shenanigan-y episode that, dare I say it, it's just going to meander. There is no through line of like, wow, this is the consistent problem that is wrong with all of these people or like, this is something the company does that is terrible it's like no it's more like uh you can be a creepy loser and run a billion dollar company a shenanigan episode is dangerous because last time you had me on for a shenanigan episode i started defending ketchup as a vegetable (laughs) i'll see what kind of problematic opinions i can get from you today (laughs) uh yeah i would classify this as a loose string of wacky shenanigans that really begs the question How is this still a business? Aren't you tired? Couldn't you have selected a low-level regional manager to just run this shit instead? (laughs) Or you could classify this episode as the failed political candidate extravaganza, because there is more than one. (gasps) I know. But first, let's discuss the company's early history. Rewind with me, will you, to the year of our Lord, 1934, deep in the hills of Colorado. Yeah, it goes back that far. There are two dudes and a horse that they rented discussing their big plans to start a business once college is over. These dudes are Bill Hewlett and David Packard, dudes who had been college during they'd been in college during the Great Depression. Like, need I say more? <laughs> Bill Hewlett had the unfortunate problem of being very dyslexic in the 1930s, so nobody really gave a shit. But 
He had come from, again, a pretty good background full of people who encouraged him to find the stuff he was good at, and he really enjoyed science and tinkering and doing shit with his hands. David Packard does not have as interesting of a backstory, if we're being so real. But the two of them in the hills of the Colorado mountains, the hills of the mountains, look at me go, just painting a nature picture. <laughs> I know so little about nature, it's like fucking ridiculous. Like, I didn't know that whopper, whopper water just evaporates if, like, you leave it. <laughs> what did you think? I just thought it stayed. <laughs> I thought it had to be hot to evaporate. So anyway, circling back to the hills of the mountains <laughs> of Colorado, Bill and David faced the hilarious and deeply relatable problem of graduating college into a terrible economy, so they keep going back and getting higher and higher degrees in, like, electrical engineering. Okay, gives Gen Z. Mm-hmm. In the 30s, though, which I did not realize those were degrees you could get in the 30s, but look at that. Eventually, the two went split skis on a garage in Palo Alto to continue their tinkering, their dude shit, and probably kissing. And then they officially started a business in 1939. They flipped a coin to see if it would be called Hewlett-Packard or Packard-Hewlett. Bill won, so it became Hewlett-Packard. But I want to return again to the fact that he's dyslexic and it's called HP. (laughs) Did it matter? (laughs) That took me a minute, but it was good. Sorry, I was focused on the fact that it's just a hyphenated of last names. They were tinkering around in a garage. They were kissing. A little fruity, if you ask me. I'm saying. Should we start a rumor? I think we already did on the podcast. Because <laughs> to me, it's so clear in the text of it's their so histories. It's so clear there's no way that they were leaning over their electronics and never just like decided to smooch a little. <laughs> One was staring at the mole on the other's cheek, looking into his eyes. Continue. I'm getting hot. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm making too much eye contact with you right now. <laughs> so the first year in business was quite successful. In fact, Walt, I'm sorry, do you have somewhere to be? Checking your watch? <laughs> There's no video. The people don't know I'm looking at my watch. Well, an audio description for the listeners is Sarah immediately started checking her watch the second I started talking again. I'm tinkering with electronics. (laughs) I was inspired by my little dudes. (laughs) Their first year in business was quite successful. Walt Disney had purchased a series of audio oscillators from the boys to complete work on the film Fantasia. Please do not ask me any further questions about audio oscillators because I do not understand what they are, how they work, and I really tried to get it. (laughs) I, I really wanted to know more. Bonus up. Bonus up. Bonus up. Maybe I will figure out an audio oscillator someday. Maybe I can mansplain it to you. Well, okay. You'll look up what is an audio oscillator, and they're like, okay, very simple. Sound travels in waves. And you're like, great. I get it. And they're like, an audio oscillator takes sound and, like, oscillates it back and forth. Great. I get it. Why? And then it's like, well, the sine wave of the something. I'm like, does it amplify? Does it measure does it control internally? What does it do? And I don't know. I'll find out the answer and I'll let you know so you can let your listeners know. Thank you very much. Anyways, Fantasia, very big fish to fry in the first company, in the first year of the company. Can you guess why a tech company that started in 1939 might still be around today? You can say it with me, kids. Private military contracting during a series of wars. <laughs> All right, no, nobody said it with me, so. <laughs> Bill Hewlett was either drafted or volunteered, the dyslexic one, to be clear. Yeah, the more interesting one. Yeah. Was either drafted or volunteered to serve in World War II, we don't know. David Packard did not join him, but Bill had served for four years doing engineering shit as an officer. David allegedly kept his salary the same as Bill's throughout the war, even though the company is doing very well. Oh my god, an equal partnership. Literally, I'm saying. (laughs) Again, they are kissing. And per the company's website, um, they have an article titled, Three Wartime Moments to Remember in HP's History. 
<laughs> which I hate. <laughs> oh. uh, quote, Bill led the electronic section of the, de- the development division, a new part of the War Department special staff. While on military leave in early 1944, Bill surprised workers in Palo Alto with a rousing speech about the success of HP products being used in the war. Audio oscillators, vacuum tube volt meters, and the 205 audio signal generator, and he posed for pictures with employees. So how is an audio oscillator used in the the film Fantasia and also World War II? Again, I don't get it. All right, anyways. One of the company's largest government contracts was for a project codenamed Leopard. HP created an entire system from antennas to service controls to to the oscillators that provided electronic countermeasures for Allied ships. The system interrupted enemy location signals and made it appear as if our ships were somewhere else, thereby delaying, if not thwarting, the discovery of their exact location. Whoa. I know, in like World War II, we were doing that. Whoa. Isn't that cool? That's like, I hate that it's for war, but I know. That's, very, that's very impressive. Yeah. A lot of HP's early shit is ridiculously impressive. They were really ahead of the curve on a lot of technological innovations. Wow, and now they just make shitty laptops? Oh my god, that's exactly where this is going. That's exactly what they do. Bill's time in the war does predate the formation of the Department of Defense, and I doubt he had much say in like who the government paid to create this technology. It's questionable how much influence one army officer would have in World War II. You know what is not questionable? In 1969, David Packard, who has no history in politics, was appointed to be the Deputy Secretary of Defense. One of his major job functions was to create the budget for the military. So that'll that does well for HP. What sort of lying on LinkedIn did he do to get that job? <laughs> okay, it was in the Nixon administration, and you did not need anything re- resembling a resume to get in. It was Richard Nixon and vibes. Okay, slay. <laughs> like I've said before, Richard Milhouse Nixon is my favorite president of the United States uh, because he's so funny and so deeply awful. Just all vibes, and the vibes are not good. No. <laughs> but it is all vibes. But the vibes are everything to me. Sometimes I'm like, when I'm feeling my most delusional, I'm like, there is a world in which I could end up in politics. Whoa. But it would have to be if someone's in power that's vibes only. Like, if you were president, I'd be in charge of some random shit. That is true. I yeah. thought you were saying you'd be the face, and I was like, with the voice you have, no, you will not. With the with my <laughs> high-pitched voice? I don't even mean high-pitched. I mean monotonous. Oh. Like, <laughs> my fellow Americans. <laughs> I am here to report that things are all right. I'm I'm one too practical, <laughs> two not inspiring enough, and three too lesbian to ever get to be president. Hey, I th- actually think a lesbian will be the first female president. Yeah, a cute one like you. No, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, other things involving David's time as the deputy secretary of defense. While he was in charge of approving, or like creating, I guess, what the military was going to spend their money on, I implied he did a lot more than he actually did. Because he only did it for three years and he was actually terrible at it. (laughs) Now, was it good to have somebody from HP, like, literally on the inside of military contracting? Yes. Was it? It's no Lockheed Martin, though, is what I'm saying. It's not like HP was rolling in it. There's no sales or evidence that like their sales had skyrocketed during this time in the Vietnam War. Um, It was good, but it wasn't like, I I guess I implied it was going to be a lot bigger than it was. It was not that big. Um, But the reason, again, that I assume he was bad at his job is because he was publicly lambasted at every turn. Before he took office, a lot of people 
like the two of us, we're like, maybe we shouldn't have a guy who directly profits from the war making the books for the military. Uh, so he set all of his HP stock into a trust that he like couldn't touch, didn't. I actually don't know how a trust works. He just put it somewhere and like he did not benefit. If HP somehow had like skyrocketed in sales, he would not have benefited from it. Even then, though, during the job, after he had given up his HP stock, people still hated him. He writes in his own autobiography, quote, The Washington years were hard on the family. In the first few weeks, Lucille, his wife, lost 16 pounds. As she said at the time, each morning when I turned on the radio, they'd be saying something terrible about you, and that spoiled breakfast. Then at noon, when I'd listen again, it would be worse, and that spoiled lunch. Then you'd get home and tell me what an awful day you had, and that spoiled dinner. So when was I supposed to eat? Oh, imagine no matter what you do, someone's always shit-talking your spouse. I know! He turned on the radio and... He's not even the, the Secretary of Defense. He's the Deputy Secretary of Defense. And people still hate him. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And he was getting that much press. Mm -hmm. So what was he doing that was so interesting to get him specifically that much press? Actually, he I did not do enough research to speak fluently on this, but I believe one of the things he did was advocate heavily for... The, like, reintroduction of almost martial law in the United States, as in, like, the deployment of federal officers for civil unrest. No, 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 no. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> and honestly, that's something that would get people going. Yeah. Do you think he did it for attention? Well, no, actually. <gasps> that's uh, even worse. Yeah, I know. He was just... He wasn't playing the political game? No. Because, again, he resigned for three years in, in office, and he didn't have to. He, like, resigned before Richard Nixon did, years before he did. Like, he just didn't like it. He didn't like the bureaucracy that came with Washington. Also, he says, quote, During that time, HP stock had increased in value, and I estimated that I'd given away about $20 million. So... He didn't want to be doing that anymore for a government job that paid him what I can assume is what, like, at best 100K, you know? Um, so he didn't want to be doing that anymore. And I think it's pretty clear, like, not only is he not good at it, he's not versed at all in politics, doesn't understand governmental bureaucracy, and just likes money. We all try hobbies that aren't for us. <laughs> I've tried golf. <laughs> he tried warmongering. It <laughs> didn't work Same out. Same thing. Same diff. <laughs> so... Yeah, obviously he was sick of losing millions of dollars and answering to like 50 different people every day. So he comes back to the company so he and Bill can start kissing again. Uh, and you know what actually they were doing in the 70s? <laughs> there was a random guy who was working at HP by the name of Steve Wozniak who desperately tried five different times to pitch the personal computer to HP and they turned him down every time. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we get from turning down Wozniak to what HP is today, like every single laptop in Costco? Uh, I will let you know how we get there. Okay, sorry, spoilers. But he <laughs> he turns down Wozniak, and then Wozniak goes and he starts Apple with Steve Jobs. Um, <gasps> yeah. Oh. That's who Steve Wozniak is. Oh. Oh, <laughs> oh Steve Wozniak won. Yeah. Because if you were to go into a store, I feel like I... I'm not like, ooh, you know what I want? A quality HP laptop. Like, people want their MacBooks now. Mm-hmm. They are definitely not the, um, they don't have the brand weight, I guess, that they used to have back in the day. But they do a lot of B2B stuff. It's just not as they B2C do. focused anymore. They do, yeah. Uh, B2B, by the way, for the listeners, is business to business. B2C is business to customer. Yeah, I whipped up a little bit of, you know, corporate jargon. A little bit of businessy knowledge. Uh-huh. What you need to know is this. HP was on a steady rise to the top from its infancy through the 90s. There are some numbers and inventions 
pulled from David Packard's autobiography that I'll tell you about. Here's what you really need to know about the autobiography is the appendix is easily the most interesting part. It's so, it's like a dry turkey of an autobiography. It's so poorly written. By poorly, I mean just boring. All right, anyways. So, this is going to be a lot of numbers. You do not need to retain any of these. This is just to get you a general picture of how successful the company is and is getting throughout a long period of time. 1951, sales 5.5 million, employees 215. 1965, sales 165 million, employees 9,000. In 1966, HP introduced its first computer. 1970, its sales had gotten to 365 million with over 16,000 employees. In 1971, a fully automated microwave network analyzer was introduced. It became an indispensable tool for the design and manufacture of microwave systems. Mm-hmm. 1982, electronic mail system developed by HP in the United Kingdom was the first major wide area commercial network of its kind based on mini computers. Very cool. 1984, thermal inkjet technology developed at HP was introduced as a, in a high quality, low price personal printer. By 1985, their sales were at 6.5 billion. <laughs> so, like, the, it, the 80s were great for HP. They did great. And then what started fucking them up? Was it when they put women in charge? Literally, yeah. <laughs> in 1990, their sales had gotten to 13.2 billion. 1992, by this point, they'd also broken into the medical field. Um, they invented a new cardiovascular ultrasound system, which produced an image of a heart, allowing doctors to perform non-invasive cardiac analysis in real time. 1994, sales 25 billion, employees 98,400. It is with this context that I read you that number, 25 billion in 1994, that I want to now read you their list of CEOs, or I guess give you a general picture. Uh... Between 1947 and 1999, that's 52 years, I think, HP has a total of four CEOs. From 1999 to 2015, they had six. <laughs> Two of whom were interim, because every single one of them was fired. <laughs> Including the interim? Uh, the interims were not fired, no. Okay. They were there for like a month. I just mentioned them because like they were also listed as CEOs. Mm -hmm. From a Fortune magazine article in 2010, quote, Decay had begun to show in some HP offices. Mice skittered in the corridors. Spiders fell from cracked ceilings. As the company cut back on trash pickups, detritus piled up. And in one location, workers took garbage home in their cars. <laughs> so how do we get there? Great question, Sarah. There's no better place to start than 1999 with a selection of their new CEO, the first among the failures. This CEO is a future failed Republican candidate with the shortest vice presidential run in history, Kara Carlton Fiorina. Woman in STEM. <laughs> so, before we jump into to Kara Carlton Fiorina, otherwise known as Carly Fiorina, do you have any questions? No questions. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, God, I'm so excited about this. This is so fucking silly. They just get sillier and sillier. I'll keep the Carlton. I keep calling her Carlton. I'm sorry. It's just I love Carly as a nickname for Carlton. That is so fucking cute. <laughs> her name should be Carlton. It should be. It would be so sick to have a lady named Carlton. But her name is like Kara, middle name Carlton. Fiorina, so she's always going by Carly. God damn, that's adorable. All right. Believe it or not, she is far from the most interesting uh, of the firings of CEOs. I know. She actually had no background in tech. She'd worked her way through the ranks of AT&T, having held degrees in business and management. And she worked at the company executing large sales deals. Her expertise was in marketing and sales, you know. 
This is what catapulted her to the newly created 1998 Fortune magazine list of the 50 most powerful women in business. She was followed by CEO of eBay at the time, Meg Whitman. So number one, Carly Fiorina. Number two, Meg Whitman. Basically, like two years into her tenure as CEO, she makes the wildly controversial decision to acquire the company Compaq. Walter Hewitt and David Packer Jr., can you guess whose sons they are? Bill and David. <laughs> were on the board of directors and they did not agree with this decision. They did not see uh, it being successful. Fiorina decided to publicly beef with them about the merger. <laughs> yes. Yes, 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 yes. This is from an article titled Leadership Challenges at Hewlett Packard Through the Looking Glass. <clears throat> Following several months of vigorous lobbying of institutional shareholders by Fiorina, the merger was ultimately approved by a razor-thin margin, 51.4% to 48.6%. (gasps) (laughs) It's giving succession, and I mean it. Yes, can you tell me more about this merger? No. (laughs) I believe, from what I vaguely remember of the research, but I did not write down, is Compaq was a... um, Either, okay, so either the problem was they focused on software or they only focused on hardware. And I don't remember which, Mm. and I don't remember why one of them was a problem. What I can tell you is Carly Fiorina's strategy was to make a lot of products and to have like a small margin on them instead of a small amount of products that have a wide margin of like sales. So it costs us maybe like uh, $99 to make 100 products and then we sell them for 100. So we, you know, make a dollar on a bunch of products or... It costs us like a dollar to make just a couple products and we sell them all for a hundred and like make money that way. So she was of the first opinion. Like let's make a lot of stuff and like make a small margin on selling them. Eggs in a lot of baskets. Eggs in a lot of baskets. I think she maybe saw the writing on the wall with Apple um, and had made the decision. That was part of why she acquired Compact. But again, I don't remember specifics about it because I'm bad at my job. Um, in theory, it makes sense. If you're making 10 different things and Apple's getting really good at one or any competitor, as time goes on, you can see what that one is and just phase it out of your 10 and you still have the other nine. I think, though, the problem that she could not have foreseen, or she could have, I don't know, is that to create this culture, she starts, um, they had like open floor office plans that she turns into cubicles. The executives wind up with private offices. In fact, she put barbed wire around the executive parking lot. (laughs) And that is the kind of culture she created instead of one of like open communication and innovation, which HP had previously excelled at. They created a lot of products that we have today. Mm -hmm. And so by assuming that Apple is going to outperform in terms of innovation, she was like, okay, you know what? Let's just get good at making a bunch of shit that isn't really innovative, but we'll still make money anyway. She already decided that she lost the battle. Yep. I think that is what it is. So again, I cannot speak more to the compact merger or how that kind of plays into it because again, I'm bad at podcasting, but <laughs> no, just kidding. I'm awesome at podcasting. I just didn't bother researching it because it was boring. And as you'll see, the shit that I have to talk about is way more interesting than this compact merger. Okay, I'm ready. Um, this is from that same article, quote, the compact acquisition did not prove to be the transformative event that Fiorina and the board wound up envisioning. HP had forecasted in the merger prospectus that the PC division of the combined entities would generate an operating margin of 3% in 2003. The actual figure came out at 0.1%. Sarah's making a really surprised face and tried to drink an iced tea off mic. How do you fuck up that math? (laughs) Oh my god. It just wound up doing bad, right? Like, they... Like, I know I have a theater degree, but still... (laughs) This, in addition to her creating a 
shall we call it less collaborative mm-hmm. HP culture, going against what they call the HP way, like that's the name of David Packer's fucking autobiography, uh, is what leads the board to ask her to turn in her resignation in 2005 so that they don't have to pay her a severance package. She does wind up with $21 million exiting the deal. They just don't officially fire her. Sure. But she's all but officially fired. You know what I mean? So uh, then she fucks off to be bad at politics and fail over and over again. Goodbye, Carlton. Goodbye, Carlton. At this point, tensions are really high on the board of directors, and they only get higher. I don't even need to name names. What you need to know is that several of them refuse to be in the same room (gasps) by the time she's gone. And I can kind of envision why. Here you've got this company that has exploded in sales for decades now, is now a billion-dollar company that is, again, brushing up against the nascent threat of Apple out-innovating it. And like we discussed, Fiorina's strategy was to pivot away from innovating into manufacturing, I guess, to put it like childishly. Um, And to me, again, it demonstrates a lack of confidence in the current company's ability to innovate. And I'm far from the only person to say that. So uh, circling around the borf, the borf, the board is beefing. They're constantly leaking shit to the press. They're screaming in boardrooms, yet they have to decide on a new CEO together. The chairwoman of the board at the time is Patricia Dunn. Again, she is not the CEO. She's just the chair of the board. But her job is to facilitate and lead, shall we say, the selection of this new CEO that's going to lead HP into the future. How could she do that if somebody keeps leaking damning information to the press and making the company look bad? Who would want to be the CEO of this company that is very public petty drama? And who the hell is leaking all this information to the New York Times? This is the situation that Patricia Dunn is faced with. And she is a woman who makes bold choices. And here's what she does. Patricia Dunn hires a private investigative firm, and she will deny having knowledge of everything I'm going to say from here on in. The private investigation firm is given access to every one of the board members' phone numbers and either last four digits of their social or the full social security number. We don't know. They take this information, and they call each board member's phone company pretending to be the board member. Hi, this is David Packard Jr. I'm looking to get a copy of my own phone records, please. The phone company, believing this to be David Packard Jr., because he knows his own social security number and shit like that, they just hand over the phone records, because why wouldn't they? In spying circles, this is called pretexting. <laughs> You've gotten the information by creating a fake or false pretenses for the person giving away the sensitive information. In this case, the person giving away the sensitive information is the phone company. In fact, the poor phone company workers pay like $5 an hour to be there. And the pretext is the lie, the I'm David Packard Jr., so you may be wondering, is this legal? No. No, there's no way. <laughs> Not really. I'm bold of this woman to say, <laughs> this is my strategy. Yeah. I respect it. It gives like very savvy 16-year-old girl. <laughs> Can't you just see a girl doing that to a boy she has a crush on? Okay, I'll say it. I think a 16-year-old would be more like would be more successful in getting away with it. You're right. Sneakier. Also, just more on their damn phones, you know? Mm-hmm. But the power that a woman has to track down information that is sensitive about somebody. <laughs> I mean, you know that this is true. One of my, and I think you have the same skill set, I feel like I can find any information about anyone and their mother and their mother's sister's best friend within 10 minutes. Do I need to do it illegally like this woman? No. No. She was just bad at being a woman. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Let's start the anti-feminist bend on Let's Busted Business Let's start Bureau. with ketchup is a vegetable, but make it worse. <laughs> yeah, I did it. Is calling a woman bad at being a woman. I'm sorry. I mean, she could be a little savvier. Let's do gender essentialism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So actually, legally, this is kind of a gray area, especially because it's not like she illegally acquired whatever part of the Social Security like number these people had. Either it was the last four digits or she went on one of those websites. That, again, because this happened so long ago and people have tried to be very hush-hush about it. She also, or the firm, shall we say, could have gone on one of those illegal websites to find this information. Or illegal. Sketchy websites mm-hmm. to find it. So again, legal gray area. And this board of rich and powerful people is not about to sue over it. Most of all because she did not successfully find the person who did it. <laughs> she didn't even get the information. Didn't even get the leaker. So that said... Congress separately conducts its own fucking investigation into the ethics of this major company with whom they have a business relationship. You know what I mean? So CNN covers this congressional hearing, which again is not a courtroom. So really the only rule is that you can't or like shouldn't perjure yourself, but you're allowed to plead the fifth and just not go. However, Patricia Dunn does not listen to this very sage advice and she decides to go. So this is from CNN, quote, despite legal ambiguities, Lawmakers emphasized that the top levels of HP should have known better. They should have realized that private phone records could not be obtained publicly. Quote, if I called you up, would you give me your phone records? Representative Joe Barton asked Dunn. I would, she replied. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) I love her. I love the audacity that she has. Yeah, because either the story is I didn't know they were doing this or the story is I know we did it and it's fine. That second one, I would, she replied, implies it's like, I know we did this and it's fine. Whereas the first of her story was, I didn't know this was going on. Mm-hmm. So which is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Patricia Dunn resigned September 22nd, 2006. HP's general counsel pled the fifth and resigned like six days later, which is the move, if you ask me. The new CEO who had been selected is a guy named Mark Hurd, who had come to office like before all the Patricia's stuff like wound up crashing and burning so he actually also went to go testify and he was like this is all my responsibility and the buck stops with me but it's like clearly we're not in charge and like you know uh, give me your initial thoughts on mark hurt because you made a face no no initial thoughts i'm just it's always fascinating to see how people decide to navigate these situations yeah what people remember most about mark hurt is that he had significantly cut costs in part uh by not paying to maintain the company's internal it <laughs> But if we're being real, in the businessy sense of the word, he did really well from 2005 to 2010. The company was ticking along, sales had increased, all that good stuff. Again, huge generalization, but you're not finding any compact or spying scandal level stuff with Mark Hurd from his run from 2005 to 2010. See, baby Ring, why is it only from 2005 to 2010? (laughs) What happened? In May or June of 2007... Mark Hurd was presumably relaxing somewhere and watching the TV show Age of Love. The show followed some washed-up tennis star who was 30 years old, who was dating women, like it was a dating reality show, dating women from their early 20s to late 40s and like comparing the two. The women in their early 20s would be like, those ladies, the, the late 40s people, they have saggy boobs. Go with me instead. That's like something someone said on the show. One of the contestants was a woman with bright blonde hair and a charming personality. So charming that Mark decided to ask her to host a variety of executive summits at HP. Here's the thing. What happened after is the literal textbook of a quid pro quo sexual harassment relationship thing. If you, it's like the the vibe is like, if you have sex with me, I will give you a better hosting gig worth even more money. The thing is the 
accusations were publicly released by, of all fucking people, Kara Swisher, the host of seasons three and four of the Succession podcast. She's also a journalist, and she, like, put them up for free on Scribd. At least it's someone with the name of Kara Swisher in her profile picture. It could be someone pretending to be her, who also posts a bunch of relevant Kara Swisher shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but either way, um, this is public. I don't want to read it because I don't think it's meant to be public. Uh, but the core of this actress's allegations against Mark Hurd are basically like, he would invite me to dinner at hotels, try to coerce me into sex, I would always refuse, and he kept amping up the stakes with higher gigs, you know, like, I'll pay you $100,000 for this, and then he would, and then she would go host something, or like, I'll pay you this much money. He, like, one time showed her his personal checking account to see how much money was in it, just to prove it was, like, over a million. Clown behavior. So she, again, refused, 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 finally got a lawyer, finally sent him a complaint being like, this is quid pro quo sexual harassment, and I would like to sue you. Ultimately, after all of this, they do settle out of court with the rule that neither will publicly comment on it. HP obviously gets involved, and they have to make a decision of what to do about this guy. If you thought they were divided before, mama, (laughs) this defines them even further, of like, what to do about a guy who does a sexual harassment? This will end nations. <laughs> All roads lead back to what to do about this. <laughs> I feel like I've listened to so many of your podcast episodes where some plot point is man is predator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's, it's all the time. Uh the board of HP decides officially that Mark Hurd did not violate any sexual harassment policies at HP, but he did violate financial ones by, like, siphoning off, siphoning off money to a contractor who did not, like, complete her work, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm going to pay you $100,000 for this event that does not exist. Mm-hmm. Which, to me, I, on the one hand, I get it, and on the one hand, I don't. Like, the sexual harassment that is being alleged is that he paid for me to host events in return for sexual favors. He would buy me dinners that were not work-related, would not, and he would give me money for the hopes that I'd be with him. So HP is like, well, he did give money to you, and he did improperly give money to a contractor, and he shouldn't have, but who's to say that he did the rest of it? It's a mystery why he did it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I also get, like, why they can't say he officially violated it, because it's not like there's a tape. It's not like... It is on the person who was alleging it to like have the proof when like she's not recording any of this or whatever. They've got a lot of technicalities going, Mm -hmm. yada, yada, whatever. So they're like, yeah, this guy is bad at money, so that's why we're going to fire him. So he is, the same as Fiorina, like asked to resign in Mm -hmm. 2010. Um, So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, asking an executive to resign versus firing them is very, very typical behavior. Mm. Um. I, I'm not surprised by that. Mm-hmm. Every way that you've said that this was handled, I'm like, unfortunately, checks out. And maybe that's yeah. just because I listened to multiple episodes of Busted Business Bureau. <laughs> <laughs> but this seems par for the course. Yeah. So this is why Heard is, fu- is asked to resign in 2010. It is only reported after he is gone that his cost-cutting measures had also included like actual maintenance of HP offices, which is the quote that I read for you earlier. It's very funny and I do want to read it so we can end Mark Hurd's thing on like a a funnier note. Quote, employees practically needed an act of Congress to get approval to buy a piece of software. The headquarters of the tech company did not have (laughs) Wi-Fi. And some some minions took Hurd's edicts to self-defeating lengths. 
At HP's office in Fort Collins, Colorado, for example, the lights automatically shut off at 6 p.m. every day, effectively forcing workers to go home. An intrepid few brought their own lamps to the office, only to be scolded by facilities managers who told them to remove the lights. Okay, work-life balance. (laughs) Yeah, that's what Mark was doing. He was like, you know what, guys, take a break. Go be with your families. Hey, janitors, we don't need you anymore. Hustle culture? It's bad. (laughs) Can you imagine the headquarters not having Wi-Fi? He's whispering it calmly. We don't need Wi-Fi at our tech company. (laughs) Uh, This is still, this is, by the way, from a Fortune magazine article where they'd gone to the links of interviewing like 70 different employees. It's a really well done article. Quote, decay had begun to show in some HP offices. Mice skittered in the corridors. Spiders fell from cracked ceilings. As the company cut back on trash pickups, detritus piled up. And in one location, workers took garbage home from their cars. Upon arrival, the new CEO was informed that HP was missing 85,000 chairs. The figure was so farcical that he had to check to make sure it was right. It was. Herd's, the Herd era's external success had concealed internal deterioration. Well... But he wanted them to be closer to nature, so he brought <laughs> animals into the office. <laughs> he was way chairs. ahead of the standing desk trend. It's better for you to stand throughout the day. Sitting is really bad for your spine health. <laughs> On top of the work-life balance. This like, guy's a visionary. He's a fucking genius. <laughs> I found out. So I had done all of this research and like put all of this into like, you know, the fucking script. And it was only until I read, like, a different thing involving a lawsuit with a different company. It said the late Mark Hurd. And I was like, that's a weird way to describe a CEO who doesn't work there anymore. And then I found out he is dead. (laughs) Yeah, he died in 2019. It's not relevant to the story. It's like, I did all this research and did not even realize he was dead. He was dead now. (laughs) Yeah, it says it right on his Wikipedia page. And I just, because I don't be reading Wikipedia. So I missed it. (laughs) Hmm, Flex. So anyways, uh... Mark Hurd does the same resigning deals for arenas we talked about, and he's immediately recruited to be the president of a rival tech company called Oracle. Have you heard of Oracle? Yes, I've heard of Oracle. Tell me. Really? What do you know about Oracle? He became in charge of Oracle? Oracle's big. Yeah. They're, Oracle's involved in a lot of like B2B stuff. That's very interesting. Oh, I have so much more about Oracle. Oh, in this podcast? Yeah. Oh, oh, baby. I know a lot about Oracle. What I'm you, ready. Just to start, what do you know about Oracle? Um, well, I've only worked with Oracle from like a, in my day-to-day life, in my day-to-day job. Right. Um, so. Do you just like see their name on a bunch of stuff and you like download their products or like you just like interact with them? I mean, limited info that I can share there. Sure, 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 sure. All right. Never mind. <laughs> I lied. <laughs> you don't know Oracle and you. <laughs> Uh, so, who is the knight in shining armor that HP will select to replace Mark Hurd? To answer that question, let's travel overseas and check in on a German tech guy named Leo Apotheker. Leo Apotheker is a man in his 50s, working at a German tech company called SAP, which does not seem to stand for anything. <laughs> it's just SAP. Much like we have apples from trees, the Germans have sap <laughs> as we find out his germ er, his germ his job is to oversee a company that's like a fifth of the size of hp and then he's selected to be hp ceo but his job really gets to him he's a really intense guy quote sometimes it seemed as if they were two apothecaries there was the awkward self-deprecating version who kept a statue of a clown on his desk a gift from his children to remind himself to be humble 
And then there was the imperious tyrant, who could be so overbearing that his enemies dubbed him Sonnenkonig, the Sun King. One poor fellow was only a few sentences into a presentation when Apotheker began bombarding him with questions, according to two people who were present. After several minutes under the fus- oh, fusillade, the man sank to the floor, whimpering, What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Apotheker was capable of absurd flights of invective. Quote, Bring me the liver of that asshole, he raged on one occasion to a stunned deputy. I will eat it for breakfast. <laughs> the dramatics. The dramatics. Yeah. So this is the kind of colorful character we're dealing with. If I haven't mentioned it enough already, it's literally the European fella from Succession. Is this man a short king? He gives off short king. I actually didn't Google how tall he was. And I don't have my phone on me, so I can't do it. But he, he kind of seems short from his portrait. Yeah, yeah. You may wonder, what was his... Oh, I'm sorry. Um... They had a pretty nasty rivalry with Oracle, as you remember, the company that Mark Hurd was recruited to. Part of the rivalry between SAP and Oracle, if you can call it a rivalry, is that Apotheker directly ordered a misinformation publicity campaign against Oracle, which wound up blowing in his face later. Quote, One part of the campaign involved a then-newly-acquired software company called Tomorrow Now, which provided a service for users of Oracle software, among others. SAP had hoped to use Tomorrow Now to lure customers in from Oracle. The problem was that even as SAP would later admit, Tomorrow Now was able to provide such a cheap service because it was secretly and illegally downloading software from Oracle. <laughs> that is so sneaky. You were right. This episode is all shenanigans. And That's like, so funny. It does. Like, none of them relate to each other. There's all different kinds that are just like, what are we doing here? It really reminds you that every company that you think is big and bad and scary mm-hmm. yes can be that but is also every company ever is just made up of a bunch of little dudes <laughs> doing a thing <laughs> it's just a bunch of little guys yeah every company creepy little morons little guys around. who go home and like eat their dinner and like snore and drool on their pillows you know <laughs> like it's and they're not especially especially smart or especially dumb like it's just a bunch of little dudes running all of these companies (laughs) what kind of astonishes me is like a company's scale in sales you know like a million dollar company or a 10 billion dollar company the person running each of those respectively is not a difference between one and 10 billion you know what i mean like, their brain power does not get that big. Yes. There is a cap on how smart any human can really be. And again, when I say they're not especially smart or especially dumb, it's not me saying personally they're not intelligent, mm-hmm. right? We have a lot of intelligent people in careers in this world. Right. But at the end of the day, a job is a job. And just like shenanigans can happen in your life outside of work, shenanigans also happen in people's working lives. Right. And it's... Because a job is a job, it's not about how smart you are at the end of the day. No. It's about executing tasks. Yeah. Which is why I say, like, why couldn't they have just gotten a low-level manager to be CEO <laughs> just for a day? Just for fun. <laughs> just for fun. Just see who'd be better at executing tasks. A little kooky crazy. Yeah. I th- honestly, it's like um undercover boss, but the reverse of it, you know? <gasps> Wouldn't that be cool That's to get, like, a janitor to go be, like, a, a high-level executive for a day? Yes, presence. Yo. Somehow I feel like that would be, would go kind of well in some <laughs> cases. I know. <laughs> so, oops, they were illegally downloading software from Oracle and passing it off as their own. 
The thing is, most of Leal's foibles happen, happen behind closed doors. As far as the public knew, and HP, presumably, Leo was not a guy who implemented a variety of ridiculous price hikes on their software, for example. He was not a notoriously hard-to-get-along-with man who refuses to be coached. No. He's a guy who made a series of bold decisions that was largely unsupported by his fellow executives. Mm. So, on one bright sunny morning, Leo Apotheker receives a call saying that Sap needs a new face, a happy face, and he was instructed to leave that day. <laughs> Stunned, he retreated home. I'm sorry, this is a quote from the article that I forgot I was reading. Stunned, he retreated to his home in Paris and sank into a deep funk. Six months later, Apothecar got a second chance. It was Jim Citrin calling about the CEO job at HP. <laughs> yes, baby. Literally, I I can't even, that has to be failing upwards, right? You got fired from your last position as, I don't even know if it was CEO or like president. And then you just get to be the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company in a country you've never lived in. Um, with people who you have never met because the board selected him without meeting him. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, what I would give to be a fly on the wall <laughs> yeah. of that process. And so this is the context on both ends of Leo Pothikar's grand debut to HP. And if you thought this was going to be even remotely successful, you thought wrong. Day one, literally day one, here's what happens. So you know how I just told you that SAP had been illegally downloading the Oracle software. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oracle sued them, because of course they did, and the trial was scheduled to begin on November 1st of 2010. That was also supposed to be Leo's first day at HP, whose headquarters are in Palo Alto, California. Quote, Oracle's lawyers announced that they planned to subpoena Apothcar if he came within 100 miles of Oakland, where the trial was being held. Apothcar was advised not to testify. So instead of making a dramatic entrance at HP's Palo Alto headquarters, Apothcar was forced to stay away. He took off on what the company dubbed a listening tour of its global empire, visiting offices around the world, the UK, Germany, France, Brazil, Singapore, New York, and Houston. It was a PR fiasco. <laughs> there were, um, like the New York, I don't know if the New York Times or if it was like a Bloomberg or something. They're like, where in the world is Leo? They were all making fun of him for not being able to go. And he's like at some <laughs> random outpost office in like suburban <laughs> France. <laughs> because he can't go to work because he'll be subpoenaed. No. For something he did at his old job. The reason he was probably fired. Like, it's so good. <laughs> Also, whoever decided to spin that as like a listening tour. Oh, that woman, I guarantee you, was a genius. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work, but A for effort. Yeah. I, I, a idea, F in execution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll spare you most of the boring details of Leo's completely failed tenure because he was no barbed wire in the parking lot guy. He was no spiders in the ceiling guy. But I will give you one tasty quote to describe his time at HP. Okay. Apothcar alienated some HP veterans by bringing in a coterie of SAP executives who, one HP source says, were abnormally deferential. One of them routinely addressed the CEO as my lord. It was meant to be funny, but colleagues were taken aback. The practice only accentuated Apothcar's outsider aura. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the dramatics. I'm a little bit on Leo's side on this one. My lord is very funny. Very funny. But also, okay. We have not stopped to talk about the workers at HP. Some of them are so dedicated they bring lamps to the office. They bring the company's trash home. There's like they will sit there in a board meeting while some guy calls the CEO my lord and they'll just take it. Okay, to be fair, 
Is bringing the company's trash home dedicated or is it you don't want to sit for eight hours a day in your own shit? Yeah, that's so fair. But it's just like, what a level of destitution that you are bringing home your own company trash. Then again, though, it's probably all papers and shit. No, but lunch. Lunch, soda, like tampons. Mm. Oh, yeah. There's a ton of there's you're living there for eight plus hours a day. Yeah. Oh, God. That will never be me again. With a bunch of other people. That's disgusting. I would never. I One of the best things about working from home is taking a shit whenever you want. And you don't get that at offices. Yeah, or having your own little snacks. Laundry. You can have a bite of a snack and then decide, nope, I'm going to get a new snack. <laughs> <laughs> you can walk around and look out a window aimlessly yeah. and then come back and nobody's going to be looking at you like, what were you doing? Yes. Uh-oh. Yes. Yes. So... Anyway, circling back, that was um, that was kind of uh, apt. Uh, that was Leo's tenure at HP. How long did it last? Eleven months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not even a year. Do you know what he's up to now? Um, oh, he's on like the board of a bunch of stuff. He got like a bunch of jobs after he did not work at Oracle. Um, but like he's up to nothing particularly interesting. Okay. Fucked off back to Germany and he does a bunch of stuff. Sure, okay. The stock had dropped from Herd's tenure. So Herd, 20, you know, 2005 to 2010, stock is at about like 24 at its peak. By 2011, it's at five dollars. Oh, I'm sorry. $24 in 2010. It's at about $11 in 2011, and it's at $5.83 by 2013. <laughs> it was abysmal. So who was the knight in shining, shining armor that they got to replace Leo? It's the second most powerful woman in business and the former CEO of eBay, Meg Whitman, from earlier. <laughs> Oh my goodness! <laughs> Women! Meg Meg! <laughs> so, what was Meg up to between being the CEO of eBay and the CEO of HP? This is from her Wikipedia, because I just did not care that much. In 2008, Whitman was cited by the New York Times as among the women most likely to become the first female president of the United States. <laughs> she ran for governor of California in 2010. She won the Republican primary. The fifth wealthiest woman in California with a net worth of $1.3 billion in 2010, she spent, the second, or she spent the second most of her own money on a race than any other presidential candidate spent on a single election in American history. She spent $144 million of her own fortune just to lose! <laughs> This record was only surpassed by uh, Michael Bloomberg in 2020 during the presidential election. So anyways, she had spent $144 million to be the governor of California, or to not be the governor of California. So that's what she was busy doing before she was finally recruited to be the CEO of HP. And it's kind of fun how, like, hers and Carly Fiorina's stories, like, are the exact opposite of each other. Like, mm-hmm. Carly was the failed CEO of HP turned failed candidate, and she was a failed candidate turned failed CEO of HP. The parallels. Women. Ships in the night. <laughs> so, I don't have much to say about Meg Whitman's time at HP. Oh, other than um, HP decides to sue Oracle for, I can't remember what it was, but HP won $3 billion <laughs> in the suit. Oh my goodness. I know. Oracle just like kept coming up again and again and again and it was deeply funny. And like they've been appealing and as of 2022 they still owe 3 billion dollars. Like that number has not gone down. Oh, this is still going on. Very funny. So, Meg Whitman is the CEO until 2015. And then, you know what she did after? So she like I don't think she was asked to resign. I think she was just done. And also the board, like nobody was getting along. They got a new CEO who like actually had worked at HP and seems like a pretty cool guy. So anyways, 
Meg leaves, and you know what she went to do? She went to go be the CEO of Quibi. <laughs> Which we know was perfect. That was a great job for her. She brought it all the way to the top. She is the reason why we all still have Quibi. Why we all still watch 10-minute high-quality content sideways. On an app. On an app. That has prestige television that is confined to 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so she's not doing that anymore because that company's gone. So again, Meg Women was replaced by a guy who sincerely worked his way from the bottom of HP, and it seems like he's doing a fine job. The company is one of the largest tech companies in the world, and the pandemic was fucking awesome for them. I think, circling back, so we are now done with all of the shenanigans. We're getting close to the conclusion. Um... It is clear to me how much of the world is run by creepy morons who don't know what they're doing or do or have just as many successes and failures as the average person does. But their successes and failures are billions of dollars of successes and failures, yes. which is an insane amount of pressure to have on one person. And right. An insane amount of pressure. And I don't know about you, but sometimes if I have a consistent amount of stress and pressure for a long time, you're not in your best decision making no. mindset. No. <laughs> You are not. And then when these problems do arise, there is kind of a, I guess, different than I would solve problems mindset that I can easily identify and say, that's weird that you guys decided to solve the problem that way. Mm -hmm. But I guess my conclusion from this is to follow your damn dream, girls. You can't be any worse than these people, right? There is no genetic thing that makes any of these people more apt to run a company than any other person there's no predetermined quality i guess other than like wealth and influence and pre-existing family money that would make these people any like more apt at the job than somebody else so follow your fucking dreams honestly you started with this by questioning hp's innovation earlier in their history mm -hmm. And you just then read off 10 stories about times when people were innovative <laughs> to their own detriment. They've just been innovative in different ways. Yeah. Thinking really outside the box. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question before, they like starting with Carly Fiorina stopped um, trying to be innovators in the field. That is why a lot of their B2C stuff, at least, is just shitty personal computers that nobody likes. Um but that is to say, I'm sitting here as a tiny podcaster and they are still a billions dollar company. They are fine. They are not on their way out. Like this, the stock went back up after Leo left. Yep. Um, they also work on a lot of technology that we're not even familiar with. Exactly. Oh, I remember the Oracle lawsuit is that um, HP makes little Intel processors mm -hmm. and it's part of this brand called like Intellium or some mm -hmm. shit like that. Oracle had basically promised to use it in a bunch of their stuff and then just did it. Um, oh. So that's, I mean, that's okay. it. Okay. <laughs> um, also, God, you want to hear a terrible story? Absolutely. This is back when Carly Fiorina was the CEO. Um, Steve Jobs had asked her if, like, all HP computers could come with iTunes to start. And in exchange, oh, God, he would... Oh, it was like a bundle deal of like iPod plus HP. And it was just iPod. So all HP computers came with iTunes. But then he immediately released a different brand of iPod that wasn't legally the same as iPod. So now like Carly Fiorina did not benefit anything from it. And now every HP computer had iTunes on it. <laughs> so it was like, 
He just dicked Steve her. Steve Jobs, you dog. You dog. <laughs> it was something so like that. So he released a worse iPod. I don't know if it was a worse, just like a different model of iPod, whatever mm-hmm. it was. That was like not contractually obligated to fall under the HP thing, you know? Um, it was really damn funny. And I, I'm kind of butchering the story because I didn't write it in my notes. I just remembered it now. You dog, Stevie. You dog. <laughs> so, anyways. Did you learn some things about HP today? I learned a lot about HP. And what I love about this particular episode is the stories are so unique and like show the many, many personalities that we have in this world. Yes. And the many, many ways that people cope with problems. Yeah. But also, I feel like you could sub out HP for any other company and you could convince me that this story happened to like Target the other day, you know? (laughs) Like... It's not, it feels both so interesting and shenanigany and not unique at all. Yeah. You honestly, you could have told me this happened at like Brown Bag Seafood and I would have believed you. Yes. This is everybody. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So it's just when they cut costs, instead of cutting costs and like employees have to work for longer at the restaurant and like now they have to mop as well as serve tables. Um, instead of that, there are now spiders falling from the ceiling and like 18,000 people have lost their job. So, different strokes. Fuck, Mary kill. The lamps people bring in after 6 p.m. <laughs> or iTunes on HP laptops. <laughs> okay. Or lastly, Carly. <laughs> I knew it was going to be Carlton. I knew. <laughs> um, all three. No, I would not kill Carlton Fiorina. I would probably... Uh, I would kill the lamps. I would marry Carly. She's probably got some interesting stories. And I would fuck whatever the second thing was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, iTunes. Yeah. iTunes, yeah. Yeah. Fuck up that iTunes. Mm. <laughs> I do every day. Well, no, I fuck Spotify. <laughs> All right, well, that's been Busted Business Bureau. You this want. was incredible. Thanks for coming on the episode. Thank you for having me. I will see you all in two weeks or maybe next week because if I do this schedule of two weeks then I will be doing it every single PowerPoint night in Lesbian Lodge Week, which I don't want to be doing. I want to do it on the off weeks. Yes. So maybe there'll be an episode next week or maybe it'll be two weeks. Well, we'll see you on Christian Borky's schedule. We'll see. Yeah, I'll see you when I see you. (laughs) Thank you all for your patience and listening to Busted Business Bureau. I very much appreciate it. Uh, Yeah, hit me up on social media if you want to talk to me. That's it. Kisses. Bye.